on episode 567 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Chris McDougall and Eric Orton and discuss their book, Born to Run 2, The Ultimate Training Guide. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 567. Have you decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness? The 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. Each week, we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. I'm Alan Meisner. I'm an NSAM certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise, behavior change, and fitness nutrition, a FAI certified functional aging specialist, and an OTA level two online trainer. I'm joined each week by our co-host, Rachel Everett. She is an NASN certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. Before we get going with this episode, I want to let you in on something. I'm going to be doing a special workshop in a few weeks, and you're not going to want to miss this. I can't get into details right now, but if you want to make sure you don't miss it, you need to join our Facebook group, 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash group with weekly challenges, health and fitness tips, behind the scenes looks, and to be first to know, you should be a part of this group, 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash group. Hello, Russ. Hey, Ellen. How are you today? I'm doing all right. I'm doing Good. all right. We, we finally got some rain. We finally got oh, some rain. So good. yeah, it's rained a good bit uh, over the course of the last several days, which is important because we were out and we were buying water uh, to put in our tanks because we had to turn yeah. off the city because the city was just pumping mud into our tanks. Um, so we still haven't, we haven't turned on the city water. We, we bought one big tank. We've got uh, basically four 400 gallon tanks in the back. Mm -hmm. And so that's our water, you know, 1600 gallons and that if we're full up that'll last us a few days you know we haven't been full this time of the year so that's another blessing uh sort of that you know we don't have to worry about running out completely out of water and mm -hmm. scrambling to get something done we got pretty low uh, but we didn't run out and then we filled one tank and i told my wife you know we just paid 80 dollars to fill up this tank with water it's 400 gallons and i said it's going to rain tonight and it did. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, of course we, have water, it did. We, have, we have some water catchment. We don't have enough cool. that could keep us going without the city water. So I'm hopeful, you know, that we can do that. We're thinking about potentially investing a little bit to change the way that we do water catchment because our roof is plenty big enough. So mm -hmm. we could catch a lot of water if we wanted to. Uh, we just don't want to send that to the back of the house because it'll flood back there. We send most of that to the front of the house, which is downhill and towards the water you know, towards the ocean. So mm -hmm. we're, we're, you know, right now we've got a lot of that water going to the front. We could probably have a way to switch and put some of that to the back so we can make sure those tanks stay full. Mm, nice. Good. Sounds like a good plan. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to see what that entails. It's, it, you know, the slanting and then having a way to turn it off is what's really important because oh. once, once we get full, we don't need more water back there. We would need it to shift to the front. So right. it'd be a watch it and hmm. see, and then switch it, I guess. We'll, yeah. we'll figure that out, but <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. How are things up there? Good. Well, you got rain and we got snow. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we got a record setting snows up here and 
we got about two feet or so around our house. And today was one of my first snowy runs of the season. So it's good so far. Stayed upright. (laughs) (laughs) So you you set yourself up right by going to Pensacola and then the drastic fly home into that. Yeah, I, I, that did work out very well. Yep. I'm glad we made it home and we didn't get stuck in a snowstorm somewhere out east or, or something. We're so. stuck in Pensacola. That'd be too. I would rather be stuck in Pensacola, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe some year I can be a snowbird. We'll see. Yeah. Well, you know, focus is still a nice place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to talk about running? Sure. Chris covered wars in Rwanda and Angola as a foreign correspondent for the Associated Press before writing his best-selling book, Born to Run. His fascinations with the limits of human potential led him to his next works, Running with Sherman and Natural Born Heroes, and his outside magazine web series, Art of the Hero. Eric's experiences with the Tarahumara and his study of running, human performance, strength, and conditioning have led him to the cutting edge of the sport and made him a go-to for athletes everywhere. The author of The Cool Impossible and former fitness director for the University of Colorado Health Sciences Center, he personally trains athletes from recreational racers to elite ultramarathoners. With no further ado, here are Chris McDougall and Eric Orton. Chris, Eric, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness. Hey, Alan. Hey, Ellen, I just want to greet our friend Ellen, because I understand there's someone out there that we have got a lot of wisdom to drop on Ellen's head. Okay. Yeah, great. I, I, I guess I'll share this with, with the audience, because uh, I don't usually do that much. But when I'm trying to come up with a topic, or I'm looking for books that I, I want to talk about, I have this imaginary person, Ellen, and I think about what Ellen needs to hear. Uh, as I'm reading a book. And so it kind of keeps me in the mind of saying this is this book isn't necessarily written for me, although I'll, I'll tell you guys later, it absolutely was. Uh, <laughs> but um, it's, you know, it's a book that I think is going to help a lot of people. So the name of the book is called Born to Run 2, The Ultimate Training Guide. And the reality of it is this, you know, I'm I'm a corrective exercise specialist. I've been working on myself from a perspective of being more functional for at least the last 15 years and, you know, going through that training and then reading your book, I'm like, you just, you just holistically or naturally just stumbled upon my profession from a overall training perspective. And you're applying it to running, which I think for a lot of people, they get the aches and pains when they get out there and run. Uh, They're just told, you know, you should just naturally be able to run. We all are born and we just run. And that's not entirely true. Or we teach ourselves some bad things as we get into this and we don't ask the right questions. And that was one of the things you guys said in the book, you're asking the wrong questions. And so I want to ask the right questions today, but this is an excellent book. If you've struggled to run before, if you love running and you want to keep running, or you're afraid you're going to have to hang up your running shoes at some point, this is a great book for you to run safely, run well, and uh, run forever. You know, Al, it's funny because that one word struggle right there is what it's all about. Yesterday, Eric and I were Zooming with our friend Billy Barnett, you know, the savage wild man who's on the cover of the original Born to Run and his wife, Alex. And as we're talking to Alex and Billy, they kept taking turns popping up to chase their little like eight month old son, Cosmo, who was like the roadrunner. He's just darting around in the background. And as we're talking to them about fitness and training, 
I'm realizing, you know what? We should just watch Cosmo because this kid's running around. No one told him, hey, you know, you better get the right shoes. Go get the, go to the running shoe store. Get your gait in that analyzed Cosmo. You, know, you better warm up. You better stretch. He was just running around. And when it was uncomfortable, he sat and plopped his ass on the ground. And when he felt like he popped back up again. That is accessible to everybody at every age. Remove the struggle and embrace the freedom and the joy. It's so easy. Yeah, I had a girl I was dating in college, and she had a little nephew, and it was the same thing. He would literally squat down, pick up the ball, and throw it. And then he would just run as fast as he could to the ball with perfect form. His squat was perfect. His 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 run was perfect. And he'd pick up the ball. So I, was, I, I would sit there to see if he wanted to play squat ball. And everybody's like, what are you doing? That's, you know, you can't squat like that. You shouldn't be running like that. And no, it was just I, Ryan and I would play squat ball. And it was one of the funnest games because, you, you know, you really didn't care. You were just running around. And I know, you know, we'll talk a little bit about some of the running that you've seen and particularly the ones with the kids playing with a ball. It just seems to be a common theme if you really pay attention to good form. I, I think the one thing we have to acknowledge is that, yes, every little Ryan out there, three years old, is playing squat ball. But then Ryan at age six is going to be brought to a school and plunked down in a seat at eight o'clock in the morning and said, don't move till four. You know, so here you had this healthy, vibrant mammal who has been immobilized for six hours a day and then goes home and has homework and has to do chores. And so we, we take these functional creatures and then immobilize them until they're like 25, you know, and then you get out of college and you're getting a little bit heavy and you're like, Oh, I want to get back in shape. And this activity you haven't really done very much for 20 some years. Now, suddenly you got to jump back into it. And that's the hell of a lot of muscle memory. If you can suddenly run around and do squat ball, if you haven't done it in 20 years. And I, I think this is where my eyes were open because I was the Ellen, you know, I was a, a guy in my, I don't know, late thirties, early forties, and tried to run, got injured, big dude. I was probably 240 pounds at that point. I would see doctors and doctors would look at me and say, you know, guys, your size, you're better off moving slow. Like don't, don't run. You know, the, you know, the impact is bad for the body, especially your body. And so I believe this, you know, and you see it in magazines all the time, you know, uh, that running, if you don't have the right shoes, you'll get hurt. If you don't train right, you'll get hurt. That drumbeat of you'll get hurt is so attached to running. And then I meet Eric Gordon and he's kind of shrugging like, dude, none of that is true. None of it has to hurt. And that's where my eyes were finally opened up. And I'll add, based on the title of this podcast, that that doesn't have anything to do with age either. Yeah. You know, we don't need to go down that battle of fighting our age and, and giving our age an excuse not to do it. This episode of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is sponsored by Athletic Greens, the makers of AG1. I started taking AG1 because I realized I wasn't getting a broad enough variety of vegetables in my diet. We get good quality vegetables where I live, but limited types. And even if you get a good variety where you live, current farming practices might degrade the quality. It's hard to get both. I chose AG1 because it is sourced from whole food ingredients. And Athletic Greens continues to research and reiterate AG1 based on current science. In 12 years, they've improved it 52 times, and they're not stopping there. It's in their DNA to continuously improve. To get the nutritional insurance I do with AG1, I'd have to take dozens of pills and tablets, some with food, others without. AG1 mixes well with water, and it tastes great. It's lifestyle-friendly. 
keto, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, no chemicals or artificial anything. Simple. And when you start your day with a healthy habit, you prime your subconscious to do more of the same throughout the day. I could go on and on. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash 40 plus. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash 40 plus to take ownership over your health and pick the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Well, you had a concept in the book. Uh, you called it easy, light, smooth, and on fast days fast. And I just remember I was training for my first marathon. And of course, I was buying all the running magazines back then. You know, there wasn't uh, the internet at that point. And so I'm buying all these magazines uh, that I can get, subscribing to a lot of them. And I get them in and they're like, okay, here's the 10 best shoes for the season. And, you know, then I'm like, okay, crap. I go reading all these things. I get more confused about the shoe that I should have because they're saying, well, if you pronate, if you supinate, if you do this, if you do that, if you're heavy, if you're a heel striker. And I'm like, holy crap. So I end up going to a running store and the dude brings me out there and he says, okay, I want you to, I want you to run down to that sign and then run back. And he watches me and he says, okay. He says, you pronate a little bit, so you need some stability with cushion. And then he goes and he measures my foot and he sells me uh, at the time a $70 shoe, which was the most I'd ever spent on a piece of clothing in my life. Um, <laughs> it didn't make me run any faster. It it did, you know, maybe it maybe it did actually protect my feet and my ankles and my knees a little bit, but in the end game, it didn't change me. It didn't change my running. But this easy, smooth light. And on fast days fast, it sounds simple, but how do we actually do that? There's a lot to unpack there, Eric. I was yeah. there's that data analysis, there's the shoe, there's the easy, like smooth and fast. You start off, dude. Yeah. So I mean, I'll I'll piggyback off your story of you know, when we met, you know, one of Chris's hurdles was he he was not able to run slow easily. And that, what that meant was that every time he went out for a run. It was uncomfortable for him to run easily, which it would be maybe considered your nice, easy run that we do most of the time. Therefore, since it was uncomfortable for him, it was more comfortable for him to speed up a little bit, which caused him to fall into all, all the mistakes he was making with his run form that caused the breakdown in his body. So we had to work on both ends of the extreme. We had to teach him how to run easily well with form and good technique. But then on the other end, we had to also use some very fast running to build his structural system so to eliminate the breakdown. So we worked on both ends of this extreme to help him create essentially more efficiency with his running, which is kind of the holy grail. You know, the thing about it, Al, too, is that when people address running problems, they're constantly giving you things to do that are not actually running. So if you have aches or pains or injuries, people tell you, well, you know, buy the other shoes or do yoga or ride a bike or go to the gym or strengthen your quads. No one ever actually looks at the behavior that is causing the problem. And to this day, it to me boggles my mind that the running media press always says the same thing. You run the way you run, no two people run the same. You run with your own natural form. I'm like, what in the ever-loving crap is this? You know, if you dive off a diving board and you belly flop, people don't go, hey, you know what? You dive the way you dive. 
If you go out with a basketball court with Steph Curry, you know, he's not just chucking the ball in here. Hey, you know, Steph, you just shoot the way you shoot. No way, man. Your form is dialed in. The behavior dictates the outcome. And so, again, if Steph Curry's shot is off, no one goes, hey, you know what, Steph, maybe you should go to your basketball outfitting store and get yourself fitted for a nice sleeve because you're supinating on your follow-through. No, you work on the form. And this, to me, again, was a major revelation that Eric brought to me. And it was it corresponded to what I had seen in the Copper Canyon. You know, our, our superhero origin story between me and Eric is that I had gone down to the Copper Canyon. I had spent time with the Tarumada. I watched them run, but I didn't know what I was seeing. Eric knew about the Tarumada, but he hadn't seen them. So when he and I first met, and I'm like, you know, I'm seeing these guys. Dude's like 75, and he's rocking up a mountain in a pair of sandals. And everybody's kind of running the same way. And so I was able to take my observations to Eric, and he was able to analyze them and feed them back to me, saying the reason why they're running at 75 is because they're all running the same way. So let's let's talk a little bit about the free seven, because I think that's that'll help people kind of understand what, what this whole thing is all about. Well, I'll, I'll list it off, and then you go, Chris. So the free seven, we've got food, we've got form, we've got fitness, we've got focus, we've got footwear, we have fun. And we have family. That's the core of Born to Run 2. Here's what it comes down to, Alan. You know, the message of Born to Run is more than just a phrase. The idea is humans are born to run the way birds are born to fly and fish are born to swim. Running was the first great superpower that human beings had as a species. Running, our ability to run long distances is what allowed us to survive. Because we got nothing else. We got no claws. We got no fangs. We got no fur. We got nothing. You know, we are naked lunches out there in the savannah, but we can run long distances better than any other creature in history. However, for you to take advantage of that ability, you have to have multiple sources of energy and fuel. You know, you can't just have one gas tank. And so if we are truly born to run, that should be something that integrates all of our lives and should be fueled by all parts of our lives. So what we we have found is if your footwear is dialed in, that's a source of free energy. You know, when you have a nice, thick, cushiony sole on your shoe, you have sacrificed energy because when you land on that cushion, you sink, 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 and then you muscle your way back out again. If you land on your foot on the ground, you spring back off, you pop back off again. Like, like imagine a boxer jumping rope, okay? It's a free source of energy. Another one we look at is food. Most people's relationship to running, unfortunately, follows their fork. You know, why did I start running? Well, I was putting on a few pounds. I wanted to get in shape. I wanted to be able to eat whatever I wanted. And so your fork becomes your coach. And so what we instruct people is, you know what? Easily dial in your eating first, and then your running will be fueled by the food as opposed to your food being dictated by the run. So that's what the free seven is. It's looking at all these aspects of our lives that can easily be modified so they help our running as, as opposed to detract from it. Yeah. And I like that last one or one of them that was fun because I think a lot of people look at running and they think, okay, particularly if they're coming after the fork, like you just said, then they're thinking, oh, well, crap. Now I've got to go do my half hour run so I can eat what I want tomorrow. Um, and they're not looking at it as an opportunity, as an opportunity to to have friends with them as they're running, to have uh, to be out in nature. Uh, to experience some pretty interesting things and kind of have some challenges in front of themselves because so many people kind of look at it as a drudgery. Oh, I got to go do my run or I got to go do my jog. 
uh, if they're running a little slower, but they just don't look at that aspect of what this can be in their lives. Well, the unfortunate thing about exercise is that we've all adopted this attitude that if it doesn't hurt, I'm not doing it right. You know, that if, if it's not painful, then I'm, I'm just kind of taking it easy. And unfortunately, that is a self-destructive cycle because anything that is uncomfortable, at some point, you'll stop doing it. Your body's hardwired that way. So, however, we also believe that, hey, if I'm having fun, well, I'm just slacking off. I'm not getting any out of it. But physiologically, fun is a self-perpetuating activity. Anything you enjoy, your body will reward you with that, that flood of endorphins. It'll make you feel good. Your peripheral vision is widened when you're actually having plenty of oxygen flow, when you have those endocannabinoids in your body. And so actually what you really want to do is dial into that fun zone because that is actually going to maximize your workout. And since Ellen's listening, most people who are just starting or wanting to start running do it for maybe weight loss or exercise. Hey, it's good for us. But very rarely will you hear someone say, I want to do it for fun. But that should be the first priority when just starting out is that keep it fun. And that's going to just let everything fall into place when you're first starting. I mean, if we can if we can translate running into the terms of play of like dance, no one goes, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to the club and dance to get in shape. No, I'm going to go to the club to dance because it's a freaking party, you know? <laughs> and at the end of the night, you're soaked in sweat. You can barely walk, you know? And, and if you can look at running the same way, I'm not for run because it's fun. And then, you know, here's here's a story that I love because our friend Barefoot Ted, you know, one of the um, – <laughs> The, the miracles of nature that appeared in the original Born to Run. So Barefoot Ted ran the Leadville Trail 100 one year in a pair of his own homemade sandals. And he, he rocked it. It came in in under 24 hours, which is astonishingly fast. And I paced him over the past last 13 miles. And as we head to the finish line, I'm like, dude, your training must have been monstrous. Like, how did you get in such shape? And he goes, no, no, no. I'm just doing 25 miles a week. I'm like, what, dude, you're doing five a day? With two days off, and you were smoking the Leadville Trail 100, and he goes, "Oso, I'm not interested in the limits of what's painful. I'm exploring the limits of what's pleasurable." You know, when Ted makes these announcements, I'm rolling my eyes and sticking a finger in my throat. But then I look back on, I'm like, the dude is kind of a half a genius because exploring the limits of what's pleasurable, and you get that outcome. Yeah, my uh, co-host on this, we have a segment afterwards, so she's gonna she's gonna love this episode for sure. But um, she's the runner. I mean, she loves this. She loves running. She she makes sure she, everywhere she goes, if they don't have a run club, she starts one. Um, she's always you know out and doing things, training, making herself better, even hiring coaches to help her run better. You know, at least training plans. Uh, maybe not. She's gonna want this book. I'm, I'm absolutely certain of it. But there there are people who could just identify as runners and then other people who dread it. And I think this book is an opportunity to really bring some people that may have dreaded a little bit, because when you add the functional aspects of what you guys are doing in this book to the running, it makes it less hard. It makes it less painful. It makes it fun. I mean, when you start realizing that you can increase your speed without killing yourself and doing things that are uncomfortable, you can literally get out there and say, okay, I, I, now that I'm running this way, I'm running faster. And now that I'm running faster, I'm having more fun. Uh, for some people, it is about podium. Uh, other people, it's just, okay, I'm in the back of the pack, but I want to run my fastest race. 
Now, in the book, you had three goals for how we can make our running more functional. And those were your footwear, your cadence, and a friend. Can you talk about each of those? Because I think those are magic. Uh, <laughs> that's the magic there. Hit footwear, Chris, and I'll hit cadence. Sure. Let me, let me just say one thing, Alan. So I don't want listeners to think that we're leading them down a path of further complication. Like, oh, you know, there's all these things I need to change. You know, one thing that has always bothered me about running is that it has been popularized as a way of maximizing profit. You know, you, you mentioned going to that running shoe store and being told all these different criteria. Confusion is the engine of capitalism. The more you can confuse people, the more crap you can sell them. Because if you feel there's all this rhetoric and all this terminology, I don't know. And I have to trust the person who's selling me something. And that to me is really what that great bewildering wall of footwear is all about. When you walk into the running shoe store, you're like, I don't know what to get. I got to trust this guy. And he's telling me I need a $150 pair of shoes and I better rotate them. So I better buy two. And then I better change them after 300 miles. And because who wants to get hurt? I don't want to get hurt. So that confusion and complication is what leads people to having to pay a bunch of money for a bunch of crap. And what we feel is that you can modify things very easily and simply. And most of all, you can do it in a way where you can feel the difference right off the bat. And so, you know, our, our first starting point, you know, rather than having people feel anxious about, well, what should my foot strike be? What should my footwear be? You know, what should my cadence be? Maybe I should buy a watch. None of that. So we have this little exercise we'd like to start everybody off on first thing. You know, so if you have your Ellen out there, 53 years old, she hasn't run in a long time. She's afraid of getting hurt. So here, Ellen, here's what we're going to do. You're going to pull up Rock Lobster on your phone. The song Rock Lobster by the B-52s. You're going to take your shoes off. You're going to stand about, I don't know, a foot or a step away from a wall. And then you're just going to run barefoot in place to the song Rock Lobster. And that song is about three minutes and 40 seconds long. And at the end of three minutes and 40 seconds, I guarantee Ellen now understands in, in her bones what good running should feel like. It's not complicated. She didn't have to buy crap. But here's what happens. Rock Lobster is 90 beats per minute per leg. It's 180 beats per minute. That gives you the quick, easy cadence you want. If you're near the wall, you can't kick back and over stride. Otherwise, you'll hit the wall. And if you're running barefoot, you're not going to land on your heel. You're naturally going to land on your forefoot. And so that's what we tell people is you can get so much out of the simplest of the actions, which will educate you on how running can feel good. Yeah, I think that's where I had a huge aha moment is I realized, okay, when I run barefoot, like on the beach or something like that, I run around barefoot, I run different than I do when I have shoes on. And I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> why, am I, why am I changing the way I run because I have shoes on? There's something fundamentally, there was something fundamentally wrong with that once I was like, okay, crap. Uh, even I've been doing it wrong for 53 years. Uh, <laughs> assuming I started wearing shoes around three years old, but you know, it's, it's just kind of interesting how it's just something so simple as just getting out of the shoes or at least not having all the cushioning, not having all the stability and all the things. And, and again, like you said, you're invested 300, $400 before you leave the run store. Cause you, you had to buy the socks too, you know, uh, <laughs> I forgot about socks. <laughs> I, I haven't worn socks in so long. But, uh, you know, so let's talk about cadence because you, you talked about that song and I, I did actually listen to it. The version I found was like over six minutes long, 
So I guess you can find different versions if you don't want, if you want to run, want to do this a little longer or, or do it a little short, or you can just put it on a loop and keep playing it. It's actually a pretty catchy tune, but you, you, you gave me some key. You said, it, cause I was going to ask the question. It was, it's 180. Cause I was thinking it's well over 130. I wasn't absolutely certain, but so let's talk about that cadence and gate and, and how that can improve our running. Yeah, so with cadence, there's kind of two things that really affect performance and longevity in running, and that's cadence and leg stiffness, and they go hand in hand. And it's it's essentially how quickly and how often you strike the ground. And we want to reduce our ground contact or time or the amount of time we're spending on each leg. So all all the skills in the book are designed to improve leg stiffness and leg stiffness is a good thing. It's building a better rubber band with our tendons. It's building a better spring in our muscles to, to spring us forward. And that is really then goes back to affecting our cadence or again, how quickly we can go from one leg to the next. And that's why cadence is such a big thing, which also then really helps dial in where we're striking the ground and how we're striking the ground with the foot and how we're using the foot. So there's so much wrapped up in cadence. It's not just a number, but it is essentially how well we use our body to run. Yeah. And you did a really good job in the book of talking through that whole process of, of that. And what I liked was it was like every every little phase of this, as you're going through it, you're, you're adding energy to the system without actually using your energy to do it. You know, like you said, you're not sinking into foam, you're creating the spring, your legs and your tendons and ligaments. If you're you're running the right way, they're creating more energy. And so effectively you're running faster and longer using less energy. Well, and that goes back to what you first brought up of that easy, light, smooth, fast. And what that is, is just efficiency. And that's, that's what we're building and, and making running feel easier, better, and more fun. And safer. And, and safer. I'm, a little, I'm <laughs> yeah. a little bit annoyed right now, Alan, because that phrase you use, adding energy to the system, I, I really wish I thought of that back when we were working on the book. It's actually perfect. It's perfect. It's exactly what happens. So uh, the last bit of that, the three goals uh, for this was find a friend. Can we talk a little bit about that? So, you know, here's, here's the thing about it. So much of what we do is based on squeezing something into an inconvenient part of our day or feeling competitive. And so much of running, and this is one of the, the two things I think that bother me most about running that really I feel have destroyed recreational running in the world is footwear and competition. If you open up a running magazine, they're always devoted to two things, races and shoes. And there's the, you know, the quarterly shoe review. But the thing about racing is racing is what you do in a distress state. Racing is what you do when you are at your absolute limits and you're in a state of, of discomfort. But everything about running is about racing. You know, if you go out in Strava right now, every day you're racing some guy in Italy, you know, you're racing someone around the world. And the difficulty with that is, is that it puts you in a state where running is now in the burn zone. But much of running traditionally evolutionarily were two things. Number one, you would never put yourself in a distressed state unless you had to, because, you know, in, in the wilderness, you don't know what's around the corner. You don't want to be VO2 maxing out and then go around the corner and go, crap, there's a saber tooth tiger, you know, I'm out of gears now. So you would never put yourself in a distressed state unless you had to. And number two, you would never 
ever go out alone. So for millions of years, we as humans evolved to run with two functions, stay within our comfort zone and be with the companions. If you ran off into the wilderness by yourself 10,000 years ago, you did not come back. Arthur Lydiard, when he began the jogging boom, you know, back in Australia, what he said was with those, with those, um, the uh, Auckland Sunday runners, he said, always stay within your conversational limit. And that's a perfect ecosystem for running. If you can breathe and talk comfortably, then you're outside of your distress zone. So he came up with like the perfect mechanism that doesn't require any technology at all. If I can run side by side with Eric and he and I are chatting and talking, then I am below my uh, anaerobic uh, threshold and I'm in a, in a comfortable state. But beyond that, too, since we're such social creatures, there is a psychological reward from that. We are rewarded by a sense of companionship. I, I believe no one has ever finished a group run and thought, well, that, that was a bad idea. So I think psychologically and physiologically, we get a tremendous boost out of making our runs more social. Yeah, I had uh, Hillary Topper on the show. Uh, she did the book Couch to, uh, From Couch Potato to Endurance Athlete. And, you know, she does triathlon, swimming, running, all of it. And she calls herself a back of the packer. You know, it's kind of the thing they, they and, and so we were talking about marathons and things like that. And it's, it's true. The, the ones that are trying to win the race, they're running at their max energy output. They're running as hard as they can run and in a lot of pain. The back of the packers, they want to finish, but they, they're also having more fun. Uh, and so I think, you know, if you, if you look at running as a competitive thing, well, that's great if that drives you and you enjoy it, but you're probably not running well if you're doing that. You're, you're like you said, maxing out, which might not be the best thing for you physiologically. Whereas the folks that are in the back of the pack, when they finish, uh, they just ran the best race of their lives. It doesn't matter what their time was. They, they finished and they enjoyed it. They had a lot of great conversations. That's what happens in the back of the pack. And so I think, I think you're onto something right there is just if you're, if you're having a conversation with someone and you're enjoying that time, it even becomes less painful, less of a chore. It actually becomes a thing, you know, you enjoy it because you're there with somebody. So it's a social thing. And I'm a big fan of taking a, instead of trying to pull things out of your life that you know, aren't serving you is to try to put things in your life that will, and they take away that they suck up the time that you would have spent doing something else. So if you find yourself having two glasses of wine, when you get off work, find a friend and start running. You'll spend an hour, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes running with that friend. You'll have a great time. You'll relieve your stress. You'll forget all those problems. And you didn't have those two glasses of wine. And I think too, using, I'm going to pick on Chris here for a minute. You know, when we, when we first met and started talking about the 50 mile race in the Copper Canyon that ended up being born to run story, he wanted to do that race, but there was something bigger at play here is that he had a longer term vision for his running and himself. His goal, his ultimate long-term goal was to be able to run anywhere, anytime for as long as he wanted. And 15 plus years later, he's accomplished that and some. And I think if, if people have that long-term vision for themselves, everything else falls into place. They can go do races and they can go have fun, but there's this longer term vision that's driving, driving what they're doing for themselves. And you know, Chris towed the line and knew he was going to come in last. And he inspired millions of people in doing that. 
Well, it wasn't it wasn't a fair race. Um, we'll just we'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's let's pivot into food because you you talk about something that I I really I really actually did not expect to find in a running book, but you you, you call it the Maffetone method. Can we talk about that way of eating because it's uh it's it's going to resonate with a lot of people that followed me for a while because it's it's very similar to the way I actually already eat. Uh, but can you talk about what that is? Uh, I just to start with one thing is that one of our goals throughout this book was to make everything measurable by feel. You know, we, we didn't want people to have to invest in any kind of systems or complicated things, even as far as like heart rates. You know, uh, I would say almost every coach out there recommends heart rate monitors for very good reason. The only problem is I know for a fact that I personally won't wear it. You know, if I, and I can't see the watch too well and it's a pain in the ass and uh, it looks like a sports bra. You know, I, I don't I don't like the chest strap. So I know that I personally won't wear a heart rate monitor for very long. So we wanted to remove all of the things that maybe make technological sense, but don't make practical sense. And eating is one of the first steps because I think where most people get themselves into trouble with running is using it as an antidote for uh, their, their eating habits. And so we wanted to accomplish two things. Number one was we wanted to put the food first, get that out of the equation, because if you're no longer like running to catch up with what you ate the day before, then suddenly you can relax and enjoy your run. But secondly, we wanted to make it something that people could process by feel. You know, I didn't want people down there with like calorie counters or measuring how, how many lipozoids of fat are in there, like bacon. We wanted that to be something, a physiological feeling where, okay, I know I ate well because of how I feel today. So Phil Moffatone came up with a method, which I think is fantastic because being the old hippie that he is, he doesn't want to have an argument with Joe Rogan about the keto diet. You know, he doesn't want to you know, engage in a battle of words. That's not his deal. What he wants people to do is figure, hey, test this out and go by the feel. If you feel better, then you're on the right path. So the Moffatone method begins with the two-week test. And the two-week test is, is very simple. You know, it's a factory reset. You get rid of all the high glycemic foods, all the starches and the sugars. Spend two weeks without eating those. See how you feel. At the end of those two weeks, have a little half a bowl of rice. See how you feel. And what happens is once we clean the system out of all like the junk that's circulating around in our metabolism, then we can make a cause and effect between what we just ate and how we now feel. So, yeah, it's a, the, the, like I said, the two weeks was great because I think for a lot of people, like if they do end up finding out that, okay, when I, when I get rid of all that crap, I end up being relatively low carb just as a natural way. Cause I'm eating a lot more fiber because it's vegetables. That's just about it. Vegetables and meat. And then the other side of it is it's, it's whole food. It's none of that stuff in the middle of the grocery store. It's all the stuff you see around the outside. And so, you know, we talk on the show all the time about nutrition and it just, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that everything kind of coalesces around just eat real food. And the thing about too, Alan, is there's one thing to know it in your mind. It's another thing to know it in your belly. And what we want to give people an opportunity to do is make it a positive reinforcement you know, so much of again eating is about punishment, you know, uh, about guilt. You shouldn't eat this. And if I eat it, oh, well, I cheated. It's a cheat day. I'm cheating. You know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. Yeah, screw that. You know, let's, let's flip it around. 
you know, you want to feel good, right? If you eat this, you'll feel good. And so without even making the argument, just try it. And then that becomes its own self-rewarding situation. It's cycle. You know, uh, I know now, you know, something I, I realized with me, what my capacity after the two week test, I remember so distinctly, I finished the two week test and I timed it because I had to make a trip to California and I want to make sure that I was done the test so that while I was in Los Angeles, I wasn't going to be hobbled by this, you know, this, this two week thing of no, no carbs. And the day I finished the test was the day of my flight. And I stopped by my favorite convenience store in Pennsylvania, Wawa. I introduced Eric to Wawa. Yes. <laughs> you, you will verify that it makes a goddamn good hoagie. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I bought myself a Wawa hoagie, roast beef and cheese, uh, extra peppers. And I go on the plane. I eat the first half of the hoagie. Delicious. Feel great. Eat the second half. I feel like I'm comatose. And I realize, oh, I, that's my limit. Like I can eat a half a roll. If I eat a whole roll, I just basically go into glycemic shock. And that's what the Moffatone method did to me. It dialed in where I know what my limit is. And I can eat the whole roll if I want to, but I know what the consequences are. Yeah. And, and I think anyone can say, I, I can I can eat anything for two weeks. I could try anything for two weeks. So I like the idea that this is a limited time test. You can fit it in because it's not something you have to think about. Well, how's my September look? How does my January look? How does my fit? You know. You don't have to be thinking about, oh, there's a birthday and then, you know, we got this trip. Two weeks, you can fit it in there, you can do it, and then you just gauge how you feel, which I, I think is great. And probably a reason why you're doing well, as well as you are with your running, because you have less inflammation, uh, you're eating food that serves you, and, you know, you're not you're not trying to do that carb up every night before your runs because you don't have to. And that would be really hard if you were running every day, you're carving up every day, and <laughs> nobody likes that. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, Alan, what we're trying to do is have our bodies rely on our stored resource of fat, of which we have plenty. And the problem is if we're on a constant carb cycle, that's all we're doing is we are racing from one sugar high to the next and storing away a ton as opposed to, you know, dipping into this natural power that's right there. And you'd have to carry three or four pounds of goo with you if you, <laughs> if you want to do a 50 miler, right? Um, (laughs) so, uh, let's just, let's do an outline because you have a 90 day, uh, run free program. Can you just kind of outline how that program works and what someone can expect if they're going to decide they're going to come in and jump into that? Yeah. So first off, it's, it's really meant as, as we kind of use that word reboot and, this is really meant for all types of runners, veteran runners who've kind of hit a plateau or have maybe been injured someone looking just to get started, someone to reboot that foundation. It's meant for everybody. I've worked with every type of athlete from winners to beginners and everywhere in between. And what I found is that really all runners need the same thing. So this is really kind of a reboot for the body, for the running body to take your running in whatever direction you want to take it after the 90 days. It's it's going to build a structural system. It's going to allow you that awareness of different types of efforts that Chris talked about before. So you're always kind of working at your own level of ability, but also understanding what is proper intensity and effort for you. Just like Chris mentioned about being aware of how foods make you feel. We're giving you eight gears or eight intensity zones so you can understand how you feel in different types of runs. So 
aimed at everybody for that reboot to really take your running to whatever whatever level you want to take it. All right. Um, well, Chris, I'm going to ask you this question, and then Eric, I'll ask the question to you as well. I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? So I would say number one, Alan, is, is sharing community, fellowship. I think that we deprive ourselves so much of fellowship and companionship in our lives that if we look around and think about a 24-hour day, how much of that time was actually spent sharing joy and happiness with somebody else? Astonishingly little. Uh, That to me is number one to uh, better health is that sharing community joyfulness. Number two is uh, motion, just constant movement motion. You know, I, one of the uh, people I met not too long ago was an 85 year old woman, and as you know, she's has set uh, age group records for running. And I asked her about her training. She goes, "I just go out and shake my ass for an hour a day. You know, that's it. Shake your ass. So take community, add motion and movement to it. So if you're meeting with someone, you're not sitting in a bar. You're going for a walk. You're going for a hike. Going for a swim. Uh, and I think the final thing is when you're enjoying something, enjoy it." remove guilt. So be with your friends, move your body. And if you're in the moment and you're enjoying it, suck it down. If I'm having an ice cream cone, enjoy the crap out of that ice cream cone. Don't associate guilt with it. I like those. Thank you. Eric, uh, I'll ask you the same question. I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? Okay. So here's, here's coming from the coach. I think first and foremost is to what we've mentioned earlier is to have a long-term vision of what fitness and performance means to you, not what everybody else thinks, but that long-term vision. And again, Chris, for Chris, it was being able to run anytime, anywhere for as long as he wanted. He accomplished that and he's living it today. It's, it's something that will be throughout your day. If you have that long-term vision, secondly, don't see running as exercise. First and foremost, see it as something that you want to do as as a lifelong performance practice that will affect your entire day. Create the fun in it and everything else will fall into place in in a way that we will kind of be rewarded beyond what we we think we can get from running. And then third, um, I I think uh, don't believe the BS about aging is that, you know, there's always a way to improve. I have an athlete who's in her fifties and is still improving. And there there's no matter who you are, when you start, how old you are, I believe there's always, always a way for you to improve and seek that out. Okay. Thank you. Uh, So if someone wanted to learn more about you two guys, learn more about the book born to run Two, where would you like for me to send them? Yeah, so um, I'm on all, all my platforms are my handles Born to Run Coach, um, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and then we've got Born to Run World on YouTube, Instagram, and Chris. Yeah, I think Born to Run World is a great launching spot. Eric and I are now doing a bunch of interviews with people who were appeared in, in both the Born to Runs, and we're putting these videos up on YouTube. But I think the way to access most things is to go right through Born or Run World and you'll find all kinds of treasure chests, treasure chests of stuff. Awesome. You can go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 567 and I'll be sure to have the links there. 
So Eric, Chris, thank you so much for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness. Thanks, Alan. Wishing great future running to Ellen out there. (laughs) And thank you so much, Alan, for chatting with us. Yeah, thank you. Welcome back, Raz. Hey, Alan. Now, you know I can talk about running all day long, so you'll have to just keep me under control here. But yeah, I think that gait and cadence and having good running form is one of the most overlooked things. You know, it's not something that runners generally focus on. There's so many other elements to focus on, but but we absolutely should spend more time on form. Yeah, you know, we, it was it was interesting because as I got the book and I started reading through it, I was... I was thinking, you know, this this makes more sense than shoes, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know, because that the whole thing. If you have like a, a problem with your ankles and you don't mm-hmm. have good dorsiflexion, mm-hmm. uh, it makes it very hard to do a squat right. You know, your your mm-hmm. your whole chain kinetic chain doesn't work right when you're trying to do squats. And that's why a lot of people will stop short on squats. That's why, uh, you know, they talk about where your knees are and how they're aligned and why people are lean forward. If you find when you do a squat, you, that you tend to lean forward and you can think about this. If you're sitting in your chair and try to just stand up, how far forward do you have to lean to make mm-hmm. that happen? Mm-hmm. And, and that lean forward means that your calves and maybe your hips are really tight at that point. And so, you know, one of the main one is the calves and I'll find this in a lot of people that I train uh, in person is, and, and some of them online that I'll have them do this because I'll, I'll just have questions about it. But if you have a big forward lean, it might be that your calves are too tight and that yeah. if your calves are too tight, then you're not dorsiflexing your foot, which is basically bringing your toes up towards your shin. And so, you know, we, we, we say go stretch and do this. And you, so you know that if you don't have good form, you can hurt yourself on the squat uh, or right. not do it well. And, but we didn't, you know, no one in all the reading I've ever done about running, it's always about pace. It's mm-hmm. always about, you know, yeah, keep your heart rate at a certain level and don't go mm-hmm. over, over, uh, embrace the suck. Um, <laughs> if yeah, you're going to run for time, if you're going to try to do an embrace, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're going to try to do a PR or something like that, you're probably going to be pushing yourself into an area of some pain and, and, and struggle. And, you, you know, the people that can do that, the people that can stay there the longest are the ones that win these races. Uh, or when your race, if you're trying to run a faster time, uh, mm-hmm. you'll find yourself sprinting at the end and, you know, that kind of thing. So few people have actually sat down and talked about how to run better. Um, mm-hmm. And and the other reason is, you know, like I said, if, if you do the squat wrong and you're leaning too far forward, you're putting stress on your lower back and the potential mm-hmm. that that could be a point of failure. And I've seen people run wrong. I mean, right. where the, I, mean I know the reason they're doing it is they're compensating for something else. So if nothing else, just watching yourself, you know, get someone to film you running from the side, mm-hmm. from the back, from the front and, and look for those, those kind of points where you feel like, okay, uh, this is not the best form I could be running in and try to see if you can figure out how you can improve that. That would be a great, great place to start. If, if you're not currently injured or dealing with some sort of a problem, aches or pains, then going to a running store and getting a gait analysis would be a great place to start. And um, if, uh, if there's a runner out there who's currently in PT for one injury or another, you can have your PT do that for you. Or if you have an in at a PT center, you could have a PT do a gait analysis for you as well. 
it would be very helpful to do. And, and, you know, you know, you see people in the gym, you know, the ladies wear too many high heels or wear the high heels for too long, or we spend a lot of time at our desks and our, our, our abs aren't working, our glutes aren't firing. I mean, there's a ton of muscle problems that we see in the running community and just paying a little attention to how your body feels out there. Um, plus keeping a look at the gait, the cadence and how you land on your foot and all of those things. I mean, those are cues. Yeah. And if you can tidy that up, you'd be better off for it. And, and one of the areas where I think you have the best opportunity to kind of see this in action. It's one of the things that I do when I'm working with a client online is I'll have them give me a video of them mm. doing a movement. Right. Um, but I ask them to do it on their third set, not their first. So when mm-hmm. there's a little bit of fatigue is when form is most likely going to break down. True. So if you had someone like, let's say you're going to do a 5K and you're coming in towards the end of the 5K and you have someone standing there and they're filming you running toward them. And then mm-hmm. they're filming you as you go past them. And then they're filming you as you run away. You, you've mm-hmm. got some data there to talk about how your running form is when you're fatigued. Uh, mm-hmm. Because if form's going to break down, that's when you're going to see it most. Yeah, that would be great to have if you've got a spouse or a friend that you could bring to a great a race or a training run with you. That would be great to have some extra video at different points along your run because it's true you're you're feeling fresh when you get started, and as the miles tick on by, you do get tired and fatigued, and that's when we slouch. Our shoulders go forward. Your our ba- our back kind of caves in a little. It's just yeah, it gets a <laughs> so it would be good to have some extra video. Yeah. And, you know, again, it, this is if running is something you want to do and keep doing, mm-hmm. um, staying mobile and, and doing those things, uh, then you're going to want to make sure you're you're doing the right things to take care of yourself. So I'm not saying yeah. I'm not poo-pooing the good shoes. Right. I'm just saying don't don't use them as a crutch to maintain bad form. You know, if, if I, right. I was, an, they said I was an overpronator. I would have been mm-hmm. better suited to be focused on why I'm pronating mm-hmm. my feet as I run mm-hmm. and, and working on my footballs because that's what was really going on was I was yeah. overreaching with my stride. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, you know, that was my problem for why I was over pronating is because mm-hmm. I was reaching, I was reaching out with my feet mm-hmm. uh, versus just running. And that's one of the things right. when they talked about that exercise of running in place with a wall to your back. Yeah. Um, you, you can't do that. You can't stride out yeah, uh, when you're right? doing that. You can't kick back when you're doing that. And so it was one of those things that really kind of hit home to me. It's like, okay, I have to land on my forefoot uh, mm-hmm. when I'm running this way. I can't, I can't roll my feet. I can't land on my heel and roll my feet under and yeah. kick back. I, I have to basically keep my structure. Um, and, and it did, it made it a much more efficient run. Right. You know, that is a good exercise. Um, just like they had described standing up against or a little a couple inches away from the wall, listening to rock lobster, <laughs> not one of my favorite songs, but okay. Yeah. It's got a good cadence, but that is a good exercise to try as, as another way to, to t- dial in your gait and form a little bit more. But I do want to mention on the shoes too. Um, it is so important. We get so distracted by the latest and greatest shoes that are out there. But, um, but it is important to get fitted at your shoe store to test out the shoes and training and to see how they feel. And, and like you, Alan, um, you know, not too long ago, gosh, a few years ago, I had an injury 
it with my um, ankles and I was put in a stability shoe for a short term um, just until I can get my ankle rehabbed. But once I was rehabbed, I'm back in my neutral shoes. I'm in a shoe that fits my feet. And so um, don't get hung up on shoes. You know, they, they might change, you know, depending on your gait and injuries or aches or, or in terrain, of course, and anything else. So, you know, you don't have to stay in a stability shoe if you don't need it. Yeah. And that's what I said. I don't have to use stability shoes. I did when I ran marathons because that's mm-hmm. what the running store told me I needed. I need a wide toe box. And there's so there was really only one brand of sneaker that would fit me mm-hmm. that gave stability. And that happened to be a new balance shoe. Um, yeah. And then that shoe went away. <sighs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that was actually my stability shoe was a new balance as well. And those are power, powerful shoes. They are built to last. Yeah. Good shoe. It was good shoe. But then, like I said, they discontinued the model mm-hmm. and, you know, there's the, I, I went with the whole thing. Okay. If you put 500 miles on a shoe, it's time to change it. And True. so I pretty much would live up to that, but then they didn't have that shoe anymore. And I'm like, mm-hmm. You know, am I going to have, yeah. you know, so now I'm buying the magazines and, you know, the shoe, the shoe ep- episode, which I think it was always came out like February. Um, and you, <laughs> you just start looking mm-hmm. at all these shoes and say, okay, well, which one's going to work? And then you're looking around shoe stores to see if you can find that particular shoe. Uh, mm-hmm. Remember this was pre-internet. So yeah. <laughs> it's not like you go on the internet and look at reviews and talk about toe boxes and stuff. You just, you had to mm-hmm. buy a magazine and shop around to see if you could find that particular shoe. Mm-hmm. Yep. Fun times. Now, now they're all around us and they're very distracting. There's so many different things that these shoes can do for you, but, but they're not always what they are meant to be, I guess. Yeah. And they can't run for you. You still got to, no. you still no. got to pick them up and put them down. So still need the muscles to do that. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, Rachel, I'll talk to you next week. Great. Take care, Alan. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Dr. Mary Newport and discuss her book, Clearly Keto, for healthy brain aging and Alzheimer's prevention. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.